Welcome to the Sendcast Christmas Special. My name is Dale Pickles. I'm the host of the Sendcast, the managing director of B Squared, and I have previously been Santa at my daughter's primary school Christmas fair. I also have a really epic Christmas suit. If you are a new listener, welcome to the Sendcast. The main focus of this podcast is to increase knowledge of teachers in schools, but it also supports all professionals working with children or young people with SEND, and it supports parents and carers of all children. This week, my guest is the one and only Dr. Susie Nyman. Susie teaches a range of students in a post-16 environment. She uses multi-sensory teaching strategies to cover complex topics to help her students learn. This week, you're in for a treat as me and Susie recorded not one, but two Christmas specials. And this is part two, where we're using the Christmas carols to discuss SEN. And we're thinking about those who are less fortunate than us at Christmas. The Sendcast is created and produced by us here at B-Squared. We are the assessment people. We help you show the small steps of progress pupils with SEND make. We help schools show progress for a wide range of abilities and ages. If you're a primary school struggling to show progress or struggling to identify where a pupil isn't making progress, we can help. Did you know you can use B-Squared's assessment software for more than just your pupils with SEND? You can now assess all pupils in one system, saving you time and money and simplifying the whole assessment process. Visit the B-Squared website or click on the meeting link in the show notes to book a meeting with me to take you through what our assessment software does. Let's get on with the Christmas podcast. Welcome back to the second part of the very first Christmas episode of the Sendcast. Lots of fun, but discussing how to support children and young people with SEND at Christmas. Now, part two of our Christmas episode is we're going to use, this is Susie, not me, the Christmas carols to discuss SEN at Christmas and things to think about. Now, Dr. Susie Nyman is back in the studio with her trusty sidekick, Percy Pig, who's looking a little bit emptier. Susie teaches a range of students in post-16 environment. And as I said before, what I love about that is so many things focus on the younger children. It's great to hear the same things coming out for post-16. So, yeah, she uses multi-sensory teaching strategies to cover complex topics so her children achieve. Welcome back, Percy, and welcome back, Susie. Thank you very much, Dale. Looking forward to this session this morning ready for Christmas, linking it all up to Christmas carols. Now, we're all fully festive. We are. Dressed up and everything. So we're going to start with this. I asked you a question, the first one. My question for part two is, what is your best memory of Christmas as a child? Well, as a child, we used to act out the nativity play because there's four of us, there's four children. So I would always be the narrator and I would get the Bible on the music stand and I would stand proudly at the front and read the story. My grandmother used to have this fire grate and the fire grate would sit in the middle of the room and that would be the stable. And my younger sister would always have to be Mary. And my brother would be the three kings, obviously, and Joseph, you know, double double acting there, having two parts. And my other sister would be the shepherds and anything else, any other people we needed in the nativity play. So once we'd been through that play and we used to turn the lights out and I used to stand there with a torch looking at the script, at the Bible, reading reading it slowly and really sort of putting a lot of imagination into it. Once we'd done that, our Christmas had started. Let's see, I was thinking about this question and I sit there and go, well, I did have a couple of cool presents and things like that, but generally 
what I think I looked forward to every year was the certain signs that Christmas was coming and Christmas mm-hmm. is here. And it, it still is now going and getting the radio times. Although back then you had to get the radio times and the TV times, if I remember correctly. I can't remember why. We always had to have two. And then it was going through with a highlighter mm-hmm. and uh, highlighting the things we used to watch. And then we'd have to, my sister would create, draw out on a paper what we were going to record. Wow. So it was all planned out, what we had to record each day so we didn't miss anything if we were busy. But it was, it's a build-up. We always used to go for a Chinese takeaway on, a, on the Christmas Eve. No idea why, but we did. So that was there. But it was the Christmas morning, the routine. So it was the obviously the, the, the stocking whatever time in the middle of the night that was. Mm. But it was in the morning that we would wake up, but we weren't allowed to open presents till everyone had breakfast. And my dad always used to have a shave. It was a wet shave. And he used to come down after all of us. But we couldn't start until he'd had his breakfast, he'd had his wet shave, and he came down dressed ready. But we could do all the prep stuff, so we used to get the trays of nuts out, mm. all the different nuts and the all the different everything, and we used to get it ready. When he sat down, they would have to come out and we would have to start eating them. And that was when Christmas Day started, was when my dad had had his shave and came downstairs. And it was... Not about what happened, it was getting to that moment, which is, it, it's like that. As you said, it's once we'd finished this, I knew Christmas had started. Yeah, I mean, as we were older and we went to midnight mass, I might be playing the carols on the church organ and then we would get back and there would be a midnight feast and we would have friends from the street round and six as well and we would eat and eat and eat until two in the morning. And then when we woke up, we would open our presents sometimes later on in, you know, in your 20s and 30s. We would open the presents when we got back from Mass. But when we were younger, we would open them early in the morning. And my brother and I would always wake up first and we'd go and find our presents and open them all up. And it was so exciting, wasn't it? It was. Those that thing is, so exciting. your family has a way of doing Christmas that you grew up with. Yes. And what I find absolutely fascinating is experiencing my wife's Christmas mm. and just seeing a very different Christmas. And that's really interesting is that what's your Christmas? Like? What's Christmas? And, and then as a family, you'll make your own Christmas, which won't be that one. It won't be that one. It'll be the best of both with some other random things thrown in. And I, yeah, that's what I've, I've enjoyed is making our own Christmas. But now I really enjoy the Christmas dinner, I think, well, because my son's a chef. <laughs> and that Christmas dinner, that turkey is not all dried out like old boots. It's really delicious. So I'm really looking forward to that. I used to, it was always when I was younger, always about the Christmas dinner I found very boring because turkeys, you said, were often dry. And I wasn't really, was not into veg back when I was a child. No one, I think every child ever is. But now, I, I, now we do turkey and lamb. That's I awesome. love lamb. I now like the turkey. We do an MLS crown, which doesn't seem to be dry. Oh, that's good. But I love the veg. We do the cauliflower cheese, spinach mornay, the red. We do lots. And it is, I love, it is one of my highlights. And I, I cook it mm. because if I cook it, I get to choose what I cook, yeah, which is all the bits I idea. want. Yeah. But also I love cooking for my wife's family. Mm. I love, nice. we invite them over every year and we have a really lovely Christmas together. It's really nice. 
So, when I ask you to do a Christmas episode with me, you being musical Susie, went off, didn't you? It was like, like a touch paper and off you went. Oh, yes, because, you know, I've played the organ for many years for Mass, Midnight Mass, or I've done trumpet and organ at Midnight Mass in Farnborough or even in Woodcote where I used to live. And at the oratory, we used to do Midnight Mass and play many, many, many different carols. And when you finish that, Christmas had started, but the best bit was you used to go into the staff common room afterwards and feast till the early mornings with these delicious Mince pies and homemade sausage rolls. Love it. Love it. So you had the idea of using the Christmas carols to discuss Christmas. Yes, because, you know, working at the Sixth Form College and coming across different types of students there, I thought, cool, yeah, I sort of went through the carols and thought, away in a manger. That's really about homeless people, isn't it? And thinking about those homeless people, you know, at Christmas. And and I used to sometimes go in the back of the van with Dad into London when he was going to work. And as we went in down the Seven Sisters Road, you would see Finsbury Park. And there'll be these men and women standing there with bottles of wine. I said, Dad, why are they drinking wine at eight o'clock in the morning? He said, oh, they're winos, they're homeless. I think that was the first person, people that I ever saw that were homeless. We used to have this chap that lived in um, the town where I come from, Ongar in Essex, and he used to go and live in the bus shelter. And I thought, oh, it's quite a nice place to live, the bus shelter, you know, it, it's got a covered roof. He's not going to get wet. But he was homeless. He used to come out in the local school summer fates and we used to play in the band and he would come along and conduct the band and everybody would have a good laugh and then you would never see him again for months and months on end and he'd just go back to his bus shelter and go and live in there and what was he doing the rest of the year but the most interesting one I had was when we played in the band at the Strand Palace Hotel in the 1980s and one of the boys there had an MG and guess what the boy with the MG was the drummer who had more drums than I've ever seen in my life. He had so many tom-toms. He was a brilliant drummer, but the rest of the band had to carry his drums and up to the gig. But that night, he went to get in his car to drive off and it wouldn't start. It was about two in the morning. And so he pushed his car and we went under this bridge. And as we went under the bridge, it was one of one of these underparties under the ball ring near Waterloo Station. And as we went under, it coughed and spluttered and it started. And the whole of Cardboard City sat up and started cheering. It was amazing. And that's the first time I'd seen lots and lots of homeless people living in cardboard boxes. So that, that was quite thought-provoking, really. So I thought, well, an Away in a Manger really is about Homeless people, isn't it? Homeless students. And one in five people are at risk of homelessness in England and Wales, aged 16 to 24 at the moment. And it's all to do with, you know, this cost of living crisis. And some of these students may have low income jobs, zero hours contracts that, you know, they get that the people just 
get rid of them, you know, if they're not working hard enough. Because they haven't got enough money, they might have increased mental health, family breakdowns and abuse at home. And those vulnerable young people are worried about how they're going to cope. Children with SEND, they, it costs a lot more for those children to bring them up. And so their parents may have difficulty, you know, paying, paying for them. The cost of renting has gone up and young people are worried about their future. They can't pay for the everyday essentials and many people take for granted. Those students with mental health and SEND might have difficulty finding a part-time job too you know, fitting in with those people that they've got to work with. That's the thing. I think homelessness is, I always imagine something went horribly wrong for that to happen. Mm. But that's not always the case. It could be just a couple of things not lining up. It could Mm. be redundancy. And you ask, well, I've got money, but then your rent goes up. I'll find a job. And then that job doesn't happen for a month mm. or two. And then by that, and it, it, it can be quite easy with a few things, only one or two things going wrong to become homeless these days. Whereas in my head, when I was younger, it had to, because you see, I think it's all the winos. So I always yeah. assumed something had to go really wrong to end up in that situation. But there are people who are really struggling just to survive in the current climate. Yeah, I've had students in the past. One girl came up to me a couple of years ago and she said, Susie, I'm homeless tonight. I have nowhere to live. I can't go home to my parents because it was not safe. And so where am I going to go? And she said, tonight I'm going to go and live in a Premier Inn for the night and tomorrow night. I've got enough money to do that. And after that, I don't know. And I said, oh, okay. well, I'll tell you what. I went into my office and I had some crisps in one of the cupboards and an apple and bits and pieces. I had some porridge as well, just in case I hadn't eaten breakfast in the morning. And so I gave her this little bag of food. I said, take this because if if you're staying in a hotel, you might not get access to any food, but at least you'll, with the porridge, you'll be able to have some breakfast in the morning. That's the thing. That's the other part is, especially I think with you working in college, you've got the yeah. older students who are at that stage where they properly can be falling out with their parents or other issues and might not be able to live at home. Mm. They might be being either pushed out or feel they cannot live at home, they're not accepted or various other reasons and they have no other choice but to leave. It's Yeah, it's it's really a question. To me, years ago, it was miles away. I I I don't think I saw – the first homeless person I saw was on a holiday somewhere in another country, you know, like, oh, you got to watch out for beggars here. I go, oh, what's a beggar? And I got, and I think I was, and as I grew up more, I think you, you saw more. And I don't know if it's, I was just, I knew they existed. So I was, I could recognize them, but it's that realization is they are everywhere and they might not have done a single thing wrong. Mm-hmm. It just might've been how the circumstances happened is how they ended up in that situation. Yeah, I, I, I met a friend called Kat Goodacre and she works for Crisis. And she said, you know, a lot of the homeless people she works with are dyslexic. And so she's done some qualifications in dyslexia in order to teach them. And what she's come up with is this thing called psychologically informed classrooms. And that's the approach which places the psychological and emotional well-being of an individual at the forefront of any support that they receive. That's what we do in health and social care because we see a lot of students with 
difficulties at home and you try and find out, you know, one little thing about them to see if you can help them. And, and I think that's really, really useful to find out about that student, find out psychologically what's going on at home. And that there are themes that she talks about challenging early experiences. There might have been something, you know, especially with SEND that they've had difficulty with at home or at school. And so they just won't do that particular task. They might have barriers to improving their literacy because they can't read, because they've got dyslexia, they haven't got the tools to help them. There might be a perceived impact of that poor literacy, the impact with a child with SEND with poor literacy, their motivation to improve their literacy. You've got to encourage that person, that that student to improve their literacy, which in turn will improve their grades in the classroom. Without that literacy, without the numeracy, with all the difficulties, mm, mm. they're not actually going to be able to get a job. Mm. So, yeah, that has to be supported first. And there isn't much out there to support those people. No. And, and she, you know, they say that if someone's lived on the street and then you're asking them to come into a classroom, well, there's a lot of things going on between, before you even get them in that classroom. You know, they might be cold, they may not have eaten, they haven't been able to wash. They might have had to walk a long way because they're living in a hostel, for example, step by step down in Aldershot. They might not have any money and, and this child might have special needs, they might have autism and, and they might not be able to live at home because the parents can't can't afford to to, to keep them or, or, or there's so many different things that we reason really. So in Rushmore, we've got positive, a positive change campaign. We're so, supporting the sleepers to get them off the street. They're tackling begging and negative behaviour. We've got step-by-step step, and we've got food banks and working with Bloom and Marvellous. We had a meeting at the Grubhub in Aldershot and downstairs was a food bank and I went in just to see what it looked like because I'd never seen one before. And the lady said to me, would you like something? I said, no, no, it's fine. I'd rather it went to people that really, really needed it. But in there were chicken fillets from Waitrose, Swiss chocolate from M&S, cereal, toiletries, loo rolls. There was so much stuff in there, you know, and it's only open on a Tuesday, but I think between 10 and 4. So people that really need it can go there and get food to help them out which is really good. It is important. But again, even as you said, walking into a classroom, there can be those barriers. Going to a food bank, there can also be psychological barriers of doing that. And and you can't underestimate all of those barriers. No. I, I mean, there was there was a student recently and I, I told her about it. She was struggling. And I spoke to the woman and I got her to speak to the lady on the phone. And she did go to the food bank and she got some food. And then when she finished, she said, thank you for helping me this year, but also thank you for helping my parents. Because by encouraging her to get the food, she could then make the food for them and, you know, they could eat because they just didn't have any money, their own benefits or whatever. And I thought, well, at least you've helped one. But it, it is that psychological barrier of going there, you know, the embarrassment. Yes. Don't be embarrassed. It's That's fine. the thing is it's, I think that certain stiff upper lip Mm. tradition we've been brought mm. in in England mm. it doesn't help us that when we need help we don't like asking for it yeah. you're supposed to be able to deal with this on your own Yeah. and it, it, again if years ago yeah if you sit there and go to get this wrong you would have had to make a load of things wrong 
and kind of you got yourself into that situation is how I, but now realizing that so many decisions are out of your control. So you might get a job, but it might be zero hours and life mm. is great for a while. And then suddenly they go, we need to cut back. Yeah. So you're back on zero hours and there's no work. Then your life will change very quickly. So as lots of things are out of your control, it's those things which are causing you to ask for help, not you or any of your failings that are causing you to ask for help. It is the world and the society we live in. Yeah, and some of our students are forces children, you know, and they're moving around all the time. And, and so they might become unsettled. Yeah. And it might be difficult financially for them when they're moving around all the time and, and, and moving to different houses. And if their father isn't at home, that might be tricky too. And there's also, there could be, I, I don't know with forces of once a child reaches 18, yeah, is space given to that person? What happens? Mm. So there's just lots of things I, you just, I don't know. Mm. There's lots of challenges. And a family with a disabled child, you know, at Christmas, if they've got to buy something for that child, for example, a bicycle, it might cost £90. You can get a second-hand one. But for the disabled child, you've got to have a specially adapted bike, haven't you? Yeah. In order for that child to be able to ride that bike. And I know locally in, in North Camp that there's there was a child who was disabled and needed a special adaptive bike and, and the children in her class raised the money so that she could have a bicycle to ride up and down the street just like her friends, which was nice. Also, if you've got an autistic child, they might need therapy and, and the cost of that therapy could be as much as £600 a month or something like that that child has to go to. But it could be anything, couldn't it? It could be anything that that they got to buy for Christmas. And you've got some really hard decisions to make. Mm. Do we go for the therapy or do we heat the house? There's so many things you've got to balance and so much out of your control. And as a parent, you're going to look after your child first and you will take, I know, I know parents where the parents eat, don't eat during the day because all the, all the food they have had goes to the children and That's things right. like that. I've heard that before. Yesterday on on the radio, they were talking about a lady who hasn't got very much money and she says she goes out during the day and goes into a library or, or shops or something like that to keep warm. And then she comes home and she only puts her heating on for two hours in the evening. We're reading about pensioners who have mm. their, the Freedom Bus Pass will go get on a bus in the morning because it's warm and sit on the bus all day mm. to stay warm. Mm. At the end of the day, they get off and go home because that's their, that's their heating. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you have to consider that over the winter. I'm going to go on to now the holly and the ivy, dealing with those prickly people at Christmas. And it could be a prickly child. And my neighbour came up with this because she says she had an aunt that used to come round at Christmas and she had a prickly face, she said. And nobody wanted to go and give this aunt a kiss or a cuddle because she was quite scary and prickly. So you need to love those prickly children, be good to them, encourage them with their talents and show an interest in them. And they'll warm to you and then they'll start being kinder to, to, to their siblings, etc. Be grateful that a child giving you some of their time and an insight into their world and don't always judge their actions or behaviours. Choose your battles, boy. Yes. Is this one worth fighting or do you just let it go? 
Yes. You know, and, and if we have a few battles in the classroom and we go into the office, the psychologist saying, let it go, let it go, like this. And I go, okay, okay. So the full 20 of them all erupt into the let it go song, which is, you know, it's a good thing to do. But I think that, that prickly person thing is, is why is that person prickly? And sometimes people are just prickly. Mm. But other times people become prickly because of the environment, because mm. they weren't prepared or their expectations or whatever the reason. But also it's not only children who are prickly. Yes. Oh, you get some, some grown-ups, use that word, that are rather prickly. You just keep out of the way, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. And, and with the holly and the ivy, you're going to use ivy for support, support those people. No support for children, the families we send over Christmas. No, it is. it can be a very long, lonely two weeks because the school's closed down. And especially if if we go and think of special needs, especially for those who get transport to school and that's their friends, is those friends could be a very long way away. And if you don't have a car with the adaptions, you might not be able to transport. Or, so... It can be just you're at home with no respite and things like that. It can be a very long two weeks and you need as much support as you can get. And do activities with them. They don't have to be expensive. You can make a door wreath. You can, you know, make the circle out of willow. You can walk down Cove Brook and find some willow trees and just get some willow and make that into a nice circle to support the wreath. And then you can get some holly out of the forest and some ivy and berries and things like that. You could go to the old charity shops and pick up some old Christmas decorations and put them in that. It doesn't have to be expensive or it could just be holly and ivy with the berries would look beautiful. So my next one I'm going to talk about today, Dale, is We Three Kings. One in a taxi, one in a car. One on a scooter blowing his hooter, that one. <laughs> Something like that, yes. But the presents, the presents, the gifts, seeing those presents under the tree, I'm thinking, what's in there? Uh, might cause children anxiety. You might want to put them away before Christmas and then bring them out. Chocolates on the Christmas tree. I'm really good at getting the chocolates, undoing the silver foil, putting the foil back. Perfect. So people think there's still a chocolate in there. That used to be my favourite trick. At Christmas, I don't do it anymore. Yeah, yeah. But I used to, I used to like doing that. I, uh, I, I never got that good. Did you not? I tried. People just knew that. I tried, and I think I just didn't have the patience to open it that carefully. I no, no, I, I couldn't. I tried. Oh. And so you know, if that child with send is looking forward to a particular present, try to find out what it is. You know, ask a sibling, a friend, or whatever. Now, our neighbour, he loves Hoover's. <laughs> okay. He loves Henry's and sharks. And a couple of weekends ago, he was hoovering his dad's car. And I went up to him. I said, Oh, could you hoover my car? Because that is him in heaven. And so he said, Yeah, yeah, I'll hoover it tomorrow after 10 o'clock. I said, Jolly good. So got up, went outside. There he was with his Henry. Oh, I'll do it now, Susie. So he hoovered it out. And my husband went, oh, that's a pretty good job. I said, I know, he loves hoovering. That is his thing. He said, I might ask him to do my car then. He'll have a really good business at the age of 12, up and down the street, hoovering all the cars. Love it. 
Love it. Yeah. One thing I have mentioned this on the podcast with Sarah Jane is when you're buying a present, especially toys and kids, is back in the day, it was just in a box. Yes. Now, the toy has to be on display in the box in the correct pose. Yes. Which generally means it's held in either twisty clips or it's got a clip around it, which you've got to undo with a screwdriver. so hard. So my recommendation will be to, before you wrap those toys... Undo it. Undo that and slot it back in. And also, if it requires batteries, put the batteries in first. Mm -hmm. I, I remember with my child getting something and my daughter just being so excited and... Basically, I think I missed about 45 minutes of whatever happened in that room because all I was focusing on was untwisting things and unscrewing things and putting it together and putting the batteries in so she could play with it. And mm. she was getting quite agitated because mm. it wasn't there. So that's the thing is if you have presents, especially the most exciting things like a robot or a doll or something, they're the ones with the most things holding them in the packaging. Yes. Mm. So, yeah, back, do a battery check before okay. Christmas. Ideally, put the batteries in the presents before the day, before you even wrap them, and do as much of that. So when they see that, they can access it in about five or ten seconds. That's a really good idea. If you ever get an iPhone, mm. Apple's whole thing of is once you get it, you should be able to open it and the product is in your hand. Yeah. That's why they fall out the box so easily. Mm. Is because to Apple, they know that you don't know how to dig down into the box. It should be there. Mm. And I think a child is the same. They want to open that box and have it in their hand instantly. Mm. So yeah, get rid of all those twisty things. Yeah, that's a good idea. Maybe buy some things like fidget toys or mini trampoline. Kinetic sand. They like things that they hold and fiddle with, don't they? Yes. A cuddle ball. One of my friends bought a weighted blanket. They sell those in Costco. Sensory bottles, magnetic building blocks, things that you can fiddle with and make. Lego. I also like the light projectors. Yes. So you get galaxy ones or northern light yeah. things. They're really nice. I like kaleidoscopes when you, you – I don't know that they sell those they anymore. Still do. I think I'm quite old, really. Yeah, so something like that that they can see and they can change and they can fiddle with. I know my friend who's got an autistic son, he would love to spend hours and hours and hours with one of these massive Lego kits, you know, make a battleship or something. Yes. Just don't be one of those parents who glue the Lego pieces together. No. No. It might save the stress if they drop it falling apart, but however. Another thing which is called autism is most children with autism like that predictability. Yes. And although most people might frown upon computer games, there are certain computer games which are very predictable. I'm not talking Fortnite or any of the online gaming. I'm talking stuff like Minecraft. There's another yes. called Terraria and a few mm -hmm. other games which are simple, mm -hmm. safe. It's you in the world, in the environment. You can play with your friends, but generally. But the thing about Minecraft is it's like the biggest ever Lego kit with it where you're not going to run out of pieces. That's right. My son used to play it. And your imagination go wide. So you might sit there and go, oh, but it's not interacting with others. But you're really occupying their minds and they can mm -hmm. really create and do things. And if you do get something like that, then be interested. Mm -hmm. Be interested. So if you get Minecraft, what are you building? Show yeah. me. Yeah. Spend some time with them. Because the more you talk to them about it, the more they'll talk to you about it. And then it doesn't become a lonely thing. Yeah. Oh, I and I know some parents who will actually 
play Minecraft with their child. Wow. So the parent will be on their laptop and the child will be on whatever and they connect and they build things together. Oh, that's nice. And it is, it, it, although you might think it, it, there is, it, I love tech, I love games. And it is the fact that in that game, the game follows all the rules, mm. which therefore is very comforting. Yeah, it is. So, yes. Oh. So don't don't ignore tech and games. It has its use. The right games, yeah, are very good. Well, that's good. I've got here for visually impaired people. You know, they might like cooking. You might get some talking scales or a thermometer that talks as well if they're cooking. Again, sensory basket. Bananagrams you might use, super big boggle, connect four and drafts, you know, you know, rail card game. I didn't know they did have a braille version. No, I, I found that out on the RNIB. So, yeah, that sort of thing. You might get specific things for those children, but they might be into iPads and stuff like that anyway, as you're talking tech there. And they might use iPads for school, so they might have one of those iPads or tablets at home yes, that they and, could use. And don't forget, one of the things with visually impaired is I loved Amazon's Alexa advert. They did it um, probably about a year ago now where they're just somebody was talking to their Alexa and they're literally looking out the window and they go, Alexa, what's the weather today? And you could see it's raining. And that's the moment you realise they're visually impaired. Mm. And the Alexa, what I like about it in those situations is you're removing the idea of having to use a keyboard, a mouse and all of that mm. to interact with it. You can go, I just want to know the answer to this question. So I love things like Alexas and the Googles because of that ways it can do things. And yeah, I, yeah, so think about that as another one, because that is basically you're giving them access to lots of questions they might want to ask and lots of silly stuff, but in a way they can access it. Yeah, so when we watch Penny Melville Brown's Blind Baking for Open Sight, we watch it in the classroom. She uses lots and lots of different technology to help her do her cooking. And she uses talking scales and she sets the time and she goes, Alexa, 15 minutes, please. So all the Alexas throughout Hampshire go off. And then 15 <laughs> minutes later, you hear boom, boom, you know, and everybody's Alexa on the call goes off. It's really good. And she said, Alexa, how many minutes have I got left on the cooking? And they'll say two minutes. She goes, oh, jolly good. And then everybody knows. And it's really brilliant. You can use Echo, can't you? That's with a screen. The show, yeah. Yeah. And people can ask Alexa to give them a recipe and then it can be on there and then it can be read out. It's really, really useful. And I said before, for Christmas, you don't have to buy expensive things. And Penny actually makes all her presents. She cooks loads of stuff. She showed us how to make Christmas mint meat. She makes mini Christmas puddings, little Christmas cake, savoury tarts, ginger biscuits or shortbread. And so she has these little brown bags and she fills the brown bags with all little bits and pieces in there for Christmas that she's made. And that's her Christmas present. It doesn't have to be expensive, but she's put that effort in to make those things. And so whoever receives them is going to be thinking of her when they eat that stuff and it'd be delicious. Now, that doesn't always work with kids. They don't always understand that it's a thought that counts. Mm. But generally, mm. if if it's definitely... If presents from the children to adults yeah and that really does apply you can save quite a lot of money by getting the kids to make things and mm. bake things it's a great way of saving money mm. yeah it is 
every year we used to have a lady that used to give us pickled onions. I remember that from as a child. Every year we got this jar of pickled onions. Problem is, then it becomes a present. You then don't. You then cross it off your shopping list because you know you're going to get it. Yeah. yeah and then one know. year you don't, and you're like, but I haven't got my pickled onions. You know, Auntie Leslie's always going to give you the pickled onions for Christmas. Yeah. I'm going to go on to see amid the winter snow. I was just thinking about the snow and the winter and how those blind people are going to have difficulty with the glare, dealing in the dark, people with retinitis, pigmentosa, experience night blindness, so they can't go out at night, might like to carry a small torch for extra light. It might be good to, for visibility, actually wear a high-vis jacket when they go out so that people can see them if they're trying to cross the road. And, and in the winter, the sounds or echoes that normally help for orientating you know, those visually impaired or blind people, they may be muffled. It might be harder to hear the sound of the cars. I know that the visually impaired lady is using a cane and the lady that goes up and down North Camp with a cane and she locates where she is. She sort of walks down Reading Road next to the wall so she knows where she is. And that walking with that cane is very different from walking out with her guide dog. She said the experience is different and it could be that they may have lost the dog recently and they're back out on the cane so that they have to sort of not relearn but, you know, be able to orientate around the local area and be confident in getting around. Fascinating. It's fascinating seeing the cane because there's a thing going, there's just so many, you see people using it and you, you sit there going, they have no idea what's in front of them. Oh, and especially if like the, pave, the, the pavement gets closed in front of you and the crossing's behind you, mm. you don't know it's closed. You can't see the sign saying pavement closed. I know. You just feel a barrier. It, it's just so many things where I think for either visual impairment or hearing impairment, the way we live the life and the currently, it's really not set up for either. Mm. Well, if she gets lost, she says, hey, Siri, where am I? Yes. On her iPhone. There you go. There's technology for you. Bring in, always bringing in technology. Yeah. Apparently, we're at a uh, was it a five to four chance of a white Christmas? Oh, right. So it's very likely. However, okay. that's probably just as long as it snows somewhere in this country on Christmas Day. It's classed as a white Christmas. Somewhere. Oh, okay. Which I don't like that definition. I'd like mm. a white Christmas. Mm. I'd like snow. That would be okay. lovely at Christmas. And you can go outside with your lovely suit on, Dale. I can. Yeah. Brilliant. Easily be seen. Yeah, too right. My next one is, do you hear what I hear? Be deaf aware at Christmas. So sometimes the conversation changes. You might ask that deaf person a question so that they're, you're sure that they've heard what you've been talking about. And yesterday we were talking in class about hearing impaired people. And I tried to link someone in class, some, one of their family, for example, a girl's nana, who was deaf, to, to sort of link up with the experience she has so that they can understand what it's like. But she said her nana was also Spanish, so if she hadn't got hearing aids in, she couldn't hear what they were saying, but also she might not be able to translate. Also, don't speak whilst you're eating because it makes it hard to lip read. Don't cover your mouth when you're speaking. Speak really clearly and enunciate your words clearly so that that person can lip read and understand what you're saying. And 
because everyone's different, you might need to see how you need to help them with their communication. It could be that you might have to learn some sign language, face them, take turns to speak, and make sure that table's well lit, keep that background noise to, to low, and maybe learn to sign Merry Christmas and a couple of Christmas carols so that they can join in too. I'm just going to add in here, as well as those with a hearing impairment, you've also got processing speeds. Yes, those with a yes, processing delay. Of course. Is my brother-in-law had a stroke a number of years ago. And while there's a couple of you talking, it's great. But as that, as you have a bigger room and the conversation's flying, mm. he struggles to keep up with the conversation. That's right. So we've got to sit there. And, and also, so it's he's struggling, but also giving him an opportunity to be part of the conversation. Yeah. So due to having that stroke, he, he literally says through four words. But so he he acts them out. He plays charades or he points and he gestures. And then you go, really? get the paper out, Kevin. And we have to write it out. And he might often draw a picture and then point to someone. or he'd, But it's, yeah, making sure they're included and giving them the opportunity. So they might, they might not be deaf. It's that processing. And, and same with everyone, making sure they're part of what's going on. Yeah, my cousin's had a stroke. And so when we sit around the dining table, if we ask him a question, nobody else is allowed to talk. You know, you have to let him talk and, and take the time to think about the question. And then he'll say it in his own time. Because we grew up with him, you know, he's so excited to be with us and to be able to join in with the family. It was interesting. My daughter's growing up. So he had the stroke, I think, before they were both born. So they've grown up with him. Mm. So. so they're very accepting. They're, they're yeah. not, but they don't do the rude, oh, come on, hurry up. They're really, and when he gets a paper out, they'll instinctively just hold the paper with their hands. Mm. And it's really nice seeing that we haven't asked them to do it. No. They've just either observed or realizing he needs support and this is what I need to do. Mm. And it's really nice that my daughters have picked it up and they're supporting with no expectations put on them. It's just yeah, they know this is what you do. And it's really nice. Yeah. And that if my dad was in the wheelchair, my son would just go, I'll push you, Grandpa, don't worry. You know, if he needed anything. Yeah. It's really nice. Mm. So, yeah, I just wanted to add the processing into there. Yeah, I'm that's really going, good. That's a good idea. Because when you know someone's deaf or hearing impairment, you'll yeah. know. But actually, some people, same with the Spanish, that translation, yeah. that is a processing speech. It is, it is. So it's the same sort of thing comes in. Mm. What's your next carol? My next carol is Jingle Bells. Try to do this. There we go. Yes. So over the World Health Organization states that over 5% of the world's population or 430 million will require rehabilitation to address their disabling hearing loss. And by 2050, over 700 million people or one in 10 people will have disabling hearing loss. So... I think it's really interesting that deaf people, although they can't hear, really enjoy listening and making music. And there was this percussionist, Dame Evelyn Glennie, who became profoundly deaf when she was 12 years old. And she feels the vibrations of those sounds, which is absolutely fascinating. And she said when she was asked about those vibrations, she said, when I'm playing or other instruments playing alongside me, she says, I feel the music through my body, my hands, my arms, my cheekbones, everywhere. And those musical experiences can provide deaf children with invaluable auditory experience of rhythmic patterns, tempo and pitch. 
But not only the vibrations, but the visual aspect and performance, the value of playing an instrument can help children increase their confidence, encourage learning about emotions, boost team building whilst playing the band or orchestra and develop fine motor skills. But children with dyslexia, it helps their dyslexia, doesn't it, if they, they play a musical instrument? And it's interesting that, you know, the music is white and, and some children prefer different colour backgrounds. And you can actually take the exam piece in, say, on yellow into your ABRSM exam, as long as you've got the original there, that you're allowed to do that now, which is really good. That's a, it's a hearing loss, again, as I mentioned about with the vision impairment, how we're not set mm. up for it, is there are so many things we do where we just assume people can hear. You shout for dinner. Yeah. You shout, well, someone grab that. You, you just, when you're in a doctor's surgery, they shout out the name of the patient. Mm. When you're at an airport on a train, the announcements are audio only. But there is one train line on the Northern line where you have the audio and and the train names are, are running round when you go. If you go on the Northern Line to and it goes through Moorgate and Old Street where Morfield's Eye Hospital is, you've got the audio and the visual. That's good. Because if, you, if you're on a train, it says, oh, this train's now going to terminate here, mm. and you're deaf. You have not heard that. No. You've, you're not going, oh, I've got to make plans. You're just sitting there. And it's, why, why are we stopping here? And it's just realising that actually we, it needs to be more communications in both when there's something written mm. there needs to be the auditory and when something's written audibly it needs to be displayed yeah. when you're at, when you're at an airport i went away at half term and you're at the airport and they just do well the passenger blah 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 please come here if they can't hear they can't come can't here. hear we are now boarding this and yes it does there are signs saying boarding mm. but um if you go ba they said we're now boarding groups one to three then one to five you don't hear it. So you, so you only hear it. You can't see it. And it's just, and the reason I've come very well is I like wearing noise cancelling headphones. Mm. I like cutting everything out and just realising mm. that I really miss out on a lot of information that's being presented to me. And that's a choice thing. I can just take one ear off and I can listen. If, you're, if you've got a hearing loss, you're not in that situation. But you can go through accessibility at the airport and you're taken once you go to the first desk, you're then taken through to a sort of, I would call it a holding area, where other people who are have reduced mobility or hearing impaired, visually impaired, and you go into this room and then as they call the different flights out, you then go out and they take you on this golfing trolley yep. and you get taken and you get escorted through to departure lounge and you get escorted onto the plane. And they will come and check on you all the time. If, if, but if you I, I partly that. feel that oh. it's kind of like, so I can either have the experience of going around all the shops and mm. eating in the restaurants and mm. doing my shopping, or I sit in this room. And that's the thing. You might be in that room if you're visually impaired or you're hearing impaired, but if you can orientate yourself around the airport into the shops to do your retail therapy, yes. because, oh, can I, how long have I got? You've got two hours. Can I just go around and... And, and go around the shops and come back again. And, and they're quite happy with that. Oh, that's that. good. You can nip out. That's good. Because I've got no experience in it. Mm. It's just one of those things mm. that I, I question it. And I suppose when you when you are hearing impaired, visually impaired, you literally, everything you do is you go straight to the accessibility. It's yeah, your yeah. default. Yeah, yeah. So I'm glad that this sort of stuff is there. Because I've seen those golf carts go around and I assume mm. it's for mobility. It's mobility and other 
that they treat everybody the same. You know, you all go around on the golfing trolley, whether it's visually impaired, disabled, you know, physically disabled or whatever, you all go on the golfing trolley together. But you get through passport control quicker, you know, which is always a bonus, isn't it? Yes, the passport and the the security checks. Yeah. Yes. Just go through that a lot, lot quicker, which is really, really nice. But I, I am going to try and learn, going back to the previous one, I'm going to try and learn Merry Christmas in sign language. That's good. I'm going to go learn that one. Yeah, that'd be nice. And, you know, linking these carols, you could do something to do with those carols, like the old Jingle Bells. That's uh, Susie's uh, Christmas jumper. Yeah, you could get some bells and then you can get the children to pick out some bells, do a Jingle bell scoop and transfer activity, and that's really good for scooping, transferring, hand-eye coordination, good grip strength, fine motor skills, and arm strength. So you could use those bells for something else. Yes. Yeah. Now, my next carol, we had a chat on the phone, didn't we, Dale, about this? Yes. This is Silent Night. And you told me that the Christmas Carol Silent Night was about a Christmas truce of the 1914 war when the English and German troops walked out of their trenches to greet their enemies and share food and drink and have a game of football. That still blows me away, that whole idea, because I don't... I, I, certain things I can experience and I can put myself in those shoes. So certain things I can, I can imagine how that person feels. Generally, a lot of those, when I became a parent... If I watch the uh, American troops coming home and their child's hugging them, I, I understand that. I know that mm-hmm. feeling. And I've only been away for a week and a half type thing and I've not seen my kids. Imagine, I, I can imagine how that feels after six months. But the whole thing of in World War One, they're in the trenches and then on Christmas Day, these two warring countries decided to, yeah, let's not shoot at each other today. Let's kind of meet up and say Merry Christmas and play a game of football mm. and do all of that and that camaraderie, that great, cool, yeah, bye, bye. And the next they go back to shooting at each other. Mm. That still blows my mind. I just, I'm, I'll never fully understand that logic or how people felt, apart from the fact they're probably just sitting there going, why are we here? Mm. And that actually on Christmas Day is how they re- the people in the front lines, that's how they really felt. Yeah. And I think at this time of the year, it's, it's useful to consider how those refugees from Ukraine feel because they're away from home and they're away from their families during the festive season. They feel safe in the UK. They'd really like to be at home, but it's not not safe for them to be there in the war zone, is it? And at this busy time of the year, as we said before, autistic children may prefer a quiet time and they might feel a bit disconnected and prefer to play alone because they have those social interaction difficulties. I mentioned my noise cancelling headphones is I bought a pair because I travelled lots and I like my music and I was feeling like, oh, I'm going to splash some cash. So I bought a pair 
And it absolutely transformed me. And the next time I met up with my sister, who has three autistic boys and one of them who really struggles, I took them with me. I said she's always tried them. I think she tried some cheap ones, which weren't that good. And these were the Bose ones, which were just so phenomenal. Wow. And I gave them to my sister and she just, and she put them on in a restaurant and it went silent. It basically goes silent. And she just sat there and looked at me and went, I went, yeah. And she persuaded him to put them on briefly. And you could see him just go, so they went out and bought him a pair. Mm. And that has been a really big thing because it means that if he can't cope with the noise, he can just reach for those and put them on. But they link in with the, with, you can get a little Bluetooth thing so it mm-hmm. links in with the Switch, Nintendo Switch. So you can do that. But So it means he can still be there and he can have a bit of a rest. Mm. And it is important if is with that quiet time, if you're at home, they can go back to their room. They know that. But when you're not at home, You've got to sort of manage, okay, how are we going to do this? And it might be you go out to a restaurant. So you're going out with Susie's family for her son's cooking Christmas. And it might be just a case of that actually, if you want to go sit somewhere quiet, just give me the signal. We'll go sit in the car for five minutes Mm. because it is freezing cold outside. Let's just go sit in the car for five minutes. But that needs to be prepped beforehand of where can you go? So again, it's about that agreeing where they're happy with. And if you're at someone's house, is walk in and do all the hugging, how are you, how are you, how are you, great, Merry Christmas, blah, blah, blah. Next thing you do is find that quiet place for them. Yeah, find the quiet zone. And then you continue with the rest of the day because that way that child knows that if, now that you've already said welcome to 500 people he hasn't met for a number of while and doesn't recognise any of them, and that's already a huge overload. He now knows, okay, I can do two more minutes of this and I need my break. Mm. And it might be you want them to give the flowers to Granny or something. Yes, or... he's given those flowers to Granny. She's happy with those. Now he can leg it. Yes. And that's what they need. If that's what he needs, then that's what he needs. And the fact that, and again, you, you can view it in so many different ways. And I, I think my parents was like, nope, you're going to be here. This is what you do. Stiff up a lip. Mm. Kind of just deal with it. And you're sitting tired going, I'm really not happy about you. Whereas you'd probably rather your child would be happy. But the fact that, they're there, they're happy in that quiet zone, enables you to enjoy your Christmas. And if they're happy in their way, they can still, it's, it's, but it is, it's, there's lots of balancing at Christmas, isn't there? And it is sometimes going, what do you want to do? And one of the things which my wife hates, I don't know why, but my wife hates it, but me and my daughters love it, is we try and have a pyjama day. <laughs> So for one day, you don't get dressed. Yeah. And then my daughters just love the idea of it. They do exactly the same as they do every other day. Wow. But it's something about not getting dressed makes them feel really good. And they look forward to it. And they literally will plan out what we're doing at Christmas and the pyjama day comes in. And my wife's going, really? We need to go for a walk. We need to do something. We're going, no, no, no. Just one day. But that's what my daughters love and they look forward to it. And it is a bit odd because you're doing exactly the same as you did yesterday, but you're just wearing a different outfit. <laughs> so it's not dress. really much different, but it means something to them. So we do it. And it's that balance of we're going to a pantomime, just me and my wife. We'll leave the kids at home because they really don't like it and there's no – so that's fine. And we're doing some other stuff together as a family. That's great. We're doing baking. Good. We have a great gingerbread house tradition that's somehow wow. developed over the last few years. We don't – we don't – bake them from scratch we buy the kits oh lovely but we always buy two 
Yes. And then we get some chopping boards out. We put foil over them and then they build them, construct them, which generally involves me doing the gluing and holding, but they're getting there now. Now they're getting to the later teens. They're finally about to glue them together themselves. Then they decorate them. So we have dolly mixtures and jelly babies and smarties. Oh, and you wow. stick it all over the house. So suddenly they're not 18 and 14 anymore, 16 and 14 anymore. They're six and eight. Mm. They're back there again. They're decorating mm. it. And we do all this. And obviously the sweets are portion controlled by my wife and then stole, <laughs> stolen by me. So refilled up by my wife. And we have so much fun. But the end of it is I then film them. They've got, they get 30 seconds to eat as much of it as they can but they can't use their hands. Oh my goodness. So their hands are behind their back. Mm. And then I just film them trying to go in with just their mouth, trying to eat as much of the gingerbread house as they can. And generally what they now do is just pile in sweets in a certain location. And that's where they're <laughs> aiming for <laughs> in that 30 seconds. Wow. And then it's, it goes away in a room and we eat it over the next, uh, but it's something we all look forward to. And, it's not hugely expensive. No. But it is one of my things I really look forward to at Christmas is the gingerbread house day. I might make, me, make my brother a gingerbread house. He loves gingerbread. Oh, it's so much That's fun. That's a good idea. But you get kits. They do some kits. Ikea do some kits which are really good. I think we got our kits from Costco this year, but they came with all the sweets already. But generally you get the sides of the house and you get the chimney on top and you might get some gingerbread people. I think one of my daughters, my one year, my daughter tried to recreate the scene entire in a Jurassic Park. She made a gingerbread person sit on the toilet. Then when she took the roof off with her mouth, she ate the person sitting on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. But it is every year. They obviously have something different they want to do. So it's not the same each year. And something they look forward to. Yes. And it is really good. Going back to childhood. It is. And I spent my, my, my I, I'm still like being the little brother by stealing my sister's sweets is how it kind of feels. But then my mm. daughter's now, but yeah. I'm still just sitting there, just sliding that jelly baby off their tray and it disappears into my uh, mouth. And then they moan and then my wife gets another jelly baby out and puts it there. And we, we repeat until we're all at that point we finished. But it's, it's simple things that you enjoy as a family, I think is the biggest key. It's not about... I always think about you watch the films and you do the things in the films. We go here, we all go and enjoy a pantomime. We all go and do this. And I think, again, because we did that as a child. One year I went up to, we went up to London and we saw Peter Pan and Lulu was Peter Pan. Wow. So that must Amazing. have been a very big, yeah, or not, I don't know. I don't know what, what point in her career she was at that moment. But it was, so you, it's just recreate. But no, that's not, that was my childhood Christmas. That was my family. Whereas my family now we do what makes what's right for us. Yeah, and that could be different. It could be the same. And also one thing we do, which I think really works well, which we fell into it, but it works really well, is having breather days. So don't do Christmas Day followed by Boxing, Boxing day. day. Yeah. Yeah. Christmas Day is full on, family come over, big. Boxing Day is rest day. Ah, because we did Christmas Day and then we had another family round on Boxing Day and that was Curry Day. So you stuff your face on Christmas Day, you stuff your face again on Boxing Day, and then you just can't move. But you might find your children get overloaded by Christmas Day, mm. and actually they need they the do. Boxing Day as a look. A go play break. with your presents. Yeah, just have an easy day. Then the twenty seventh, we kind of have our Boxing Day, so we just have that day's gap. And we did it. I've no idea why at the beginning, but it works really well. 
that you have this day where you really pig out and your stomach has a whole 24 hours to rest. And then you pig out again. Then you pig out again. And it works brilliantly on multiple levels, for food levels, greed levels, but also, yeah, for just having that break. That's not saying you don't love your family, Mm. (laughs) but you got all your presents. You want to play with them. You do. So if you're a child and you go to that house on that day, then you go to that house on that day, and then the entire time that present you really want to play with is sitting at home, you don't want to be in either of those places. You want to be where that present is. Yeah. With my husband's side of the family, we would go and visit his family on, on the 27th. Yeah. Um, and then all the cousins would get together and play games together and have a good chat and have this enormous banquet of food on the table. Everybody would bring different stuff. So someone might bring smoked salmon, someone brings prawns, someone brings cakes. And, and so you just have this whole feast on the table full of food and you just kept eating all day. It's great. There's no such thing as a meal time. No. <laughs> it's just, just, it's just there. Raise all day. Raise, yeah. Yes. It's amazing. When I was young, it was always about the cakes and the sweets and the puddings yeah. and the chocolate. and the. Mm. I'm just old now because I just look forward to the mains and I get to the puddings and go, oh, I'm, I'm all right. Yeah, I'm full up. <laughs> I'm full up. Whereas before it was like, I've eaten one carrot, I've eaten a bit of turkey, can I have cake now? Mm. Can I have that cake followed by that cake followed by that? I just generally just have one pudding now. Because also I've realised it doesn't, if you don't eat today, it sits there for tomorrow as well. So mm. I'll, I'll get to it at some point. That's good. So anything left? Yes. For Dale and Susie to wish you a Merry Christmas. And hello, we've got oh, a cracker. Susie has a Christmas. Susie never comes empty handed. <laughs> so we went to Asda last night in Farnborough and found that you can buy one Christmas cracker. So we're going to pull it because... Autistic people probably don't like pulling Christmas crackers because of the bangs. You can get silent crackers. Really? Or on some of them. So on this cracker, if you look in the end, you can see, or you can't on this one, oh. on some of them you can see the bit which goes through and you can take the them out. and take it out. I so, mm. yeah, so the fact that you've bought one Christmas cracker has really raised my expectations. It's going to be a really big bang and spectacular. So let's find I don't out. Know. Here we go. It didn't bang. It was, is it a silent one? Oh, it could be a silent one then. Well, this is where we realise that you need to read sometimes. And again, they really need to be clearer with their um, instructions. instructions and information. Can you see what that is? The paw print. Can you see what that says at the bottom? A cat cracker. That's why there's a bell inside. That's why it's it's, it's jingling bell. Yeah. Because it's for a cat. But again, it goes back to that. Susie saw a cracker, (laughs) has an expectation. It's going to bang. It's going to bang. It's going to do that. And so we've got a ball with a bell in. Brilliant. (laughs) That's what you get in a cat cracker. But again, I'm going to go to back to dyslexia. If someone couldn't read and then looking at that, it's, it needs to be clearer. It does. No bangs. Why is it not bang? I was, I was, reading, I was saying silent crack and it just said cat, cat cracker. cracker. And I was like, oh. So yes, you could buy cat crackers instead of a normal crackers because obviously now silent. That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't uh, have the bang at the end, Dale. I'm uh, terribly sorry. I'm happy because I've got a Percy Pig Agrovent calendar, so I'm extremely oh, happy. Oh, brilliant. 
So, so thank you, Susie. And yes, definitely all of you have a Merry Christmas in whatever way that looks like for you and a Happy New Year as well. And I'm going to wrap it there. It's Brilliant. all the usual stuff I say at the end, but let's just end it there. End it there. Thank you very much, Dale. You are welcome, Susie. Have a wonderful Christmas and a very happy and healthy New Year. Yes, and we'll be back soon with another episode of the Sendcast. Brilliant. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.